Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Hello and welcome to February's All In for Citrus podcast. I'm Ernie Neff and I'm with Dr. Michael Rogers, the director for the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alfred. Michael, to start off, can you go over what will be discussed on this month's program? Sure, Ernie, and thank you. This month I'm going to talk about a couple of topics. One, we have some new faces in IFAS I would like to uh, uh, get folks aware of that they'll be seeing more of around the industry this year. And then also I'll be talking a little bit about uh, grower interest in replanting new trees. As optimism is growing in the industry, there's more interest in growing new trees or replanting. And so I'll be talking a little bit more about that. Then Dr. Tripti Vashisht, um, an assistant professor of horticultural sciences and our extension specialist here at the Citrus Research and Education Center, will talk about uh, some work she's doing looking at the fertilization effects on fruit quality. Uh, following her uh, interview, uh, Mr. Chris Oswalt, a citrus extension agent uh, for Polk County and Hillsborough County, will discuss uh, his winter weather watch program. And lastly, we'll conclude with uh, Dr. Gene Albrigo, He's a, everybody knows Dr. Albrigo, a retired professor emeritus of horticultural sciences. Um, he's not fully retired. He continues to work, and he'll be talking about some of his ongoing work with flowering models. You mentioned some new people. First, UF has a new research dean. Uh, yes. Uh, as Dr. Jackie Burns retired at the beginning of this year, Dr. Robert Gilbert uh, took over as the new IFAS dean for research. Uh, Dr. Gilbert started out his career in IFAS at the Bell Glade Research Station working in sugarcane down in South Florida many years ago. And uh, following his time as a researcher down there, he uh, transitioned and became the center director at Bell Glade. And later on, he moved up to uh, the agronomy department in Gainesville to serve as the chair of the agronomy department. Just recently, he began his new position in January as, as dean of research. And he's already been very busy uh, getting adjusted to his new position, uh, but he has taken the time already to get out and get involved with citrus growers. Just a couple of weeks ago, he attended a meeting with the CRDF in, in late January. Um, he introduced himself at that meeting to the CRDF board and uh, really spent some time just listening to some of the concerns and what's going on at the CRDF and understanding how we operate and, and work together with the CRDF. I'd say that in talking with all of our um, center directors and department chairs, uh, we all share the same feeling that, that Dr. Uh, Gilbert was an excellent choice to serve as research dean. He's a very reasonable guy. Uh, he's got a background working in agriculture in the field with growers. In, in his case, it was mostly sugarcane growers. But we're very excited and pleased to have a Dr. Gilbert as the new dean of research and know that he's going to serve us well in this position. Excellent. And another new person coming on board will be a new extension agent working with citrus growers and others. Yes. Uh, for a while now, we've had a vacancy in the St. Lucie and Indian River fruit crops agent position that's located in Fort Pierce. And I'm happy to report that that, that has been filled now. Uh, this position was previously held by Dr. Grima Kakar, uh, who left uh, for another position um, but Dr. Amir Rezazeta has been hired to fill this position beginning February 18th. 
Um, uh, Dr. Reza Zeta has a background in horticultural sciences and most recently comes to us uh, from a postdoctoral position at Mississippi State University. And so we expect that he'll be jumping right into his new role in this position, and growers can look forward to seeing him at extension meetings, especially on the East Coast, in, in the coming weeks. So we're excited to fill this position and um, also hope to be filling more positions this year as we have several additional citrus faculty positions that are vacant around the state due to retirements. So we hope to be having more people brought on board this year as well. Michael, also you have mentioned more growers are willing now to consider replanting, planting citrus trees. Yeah, Ernie, uh, there, there's a lot of optimism, as we've, we've continued to say in the industry right now. And with that optimism, growers are starting to even give more consideration to replanting, where they've, they've either got some unproductive groves or they've fallowed some groves, and they've got that vacant land, and, and they had held off on planting back in citrus till they feel a little more confident when they could grow citrus. And so now uh, we're getting a lot of questions in IFAS from growers on what to plant now. So thanks to many years of, of work on the part of our IFAS breeders, we have a, a number of new uh, rootstock and scion combinations that are available that have been released to growers. And so for the grower, there's actually a lot more options than ever when it comes to round orange and scion rootstock combinations to choose from. And with those that increase in choices, there comes a lot more confusion for the grower, really, because you have now more options than ever, and you're trying to decide what's the best thing for me to plant in my grove. And I, I just used an example of the confusion. This is something I dealt with myself at home just recently when our clothes washing machine went out. And um, I go into to the department store to buy a new washer, and I go in. There's all these different options available. And so I went home and told my wife, I said, well, it wasn't easy as I thought. There's too many options. So I uh, went and got a Consumer Reports article and started looking up, doing my homework on washing machines, made a decision hoping it was the right one and uh, so far so good um, but that's the same situation I think that growers are in you know as you have all these new these new options uh, available um, you just want to jump right in with something without knowing more about it you want to make informed decisions and so uh, that because again some of the things that ha that you have to consider is the soil characteristics of your grove um, where you're located in the state and you know one rootstock sign combination that performs well in the ridge may not perform well in the flatwoods or, or vice versa and the other thing that we also have to consider is a lot of these new rootstock sign combinations that have been released by IFAS were released as part of the IFAS fast track program and this was several years back and, and the idea was with HLB becoming such a big problem for our industry uh, we wanted to get these new varieties in the hands of growers as quickly as possible but that meant that we didn't have a lot of data at the time when these, these releases were made. Now we're at the point we're starting to generate more and more data on these new rootstock sign combinations um, in terms of fruit yield and how they perform in different parts of the state. So at the request of growers, what we've done is we're starting to now make all that information available on the, on the website. And so you can go out and access this information yourself now. If you go to our website, um, citrusresearch.ifas.ufl. Edu. Near to the top of that page, you'll see an option for plan improvement. If you click on that link, it'll take you to a, a new web page where currently we have 10 different field trials summaries uh, that have been provided. And you can click on those field trials reports and see all the details about when it was planted, the sign rootstock combinations, the soil characteristics, everything you need to know, as well as yield data, tree health data, things like that. Um, so as you'll see, if you look at the website, there's a wide variety of field trials that are included. We've got new IFAS sweet orange uh, scions that have been tested on different rootstocks. 
grapefruit rootstock trials. Some of our industry standards, Hamlin and Valencia, grown on new rootstocks. There's even lemon trials on the website. Um, and you'll also notice on the website there's trials from different parts of the state, not just the ridge, but also the east coast or the southwest flatwoods. So you can check out data on the rootstock sign combinations of interest to you in the growing region where you're going to be growing your plants as you make informed decisions on what you want to plant back. Um, I will mention you'll also notice there are, there are a few trials listed that we don't have yield data for just yet. And that's to be expected because if a couple of these trials are recently planted. We don't have yield data yet. There's not enough fruit to count. But just keep checking back. And as we have more information, these, these reports will be updated uh, annually as we get more data in. So lastly, I will say that we do welcome feedback um, on this webpage. It's a, everything's a work in progress. We're always working to improve what we're providing. So if you look at the bottom of the webpage, you will see a link um, to submit feedback. If you have any suggestions for us, we really do welcome feedback and encourage you to send that to us as well. Michael, I love that washing machine analogy. I think it's still much tougher for growers to pick their cyan rootstock combinations, but thank you for making it easy or making it a little easier. Yeah, and thank you, Ernie. And again, we're, we're trying to do our best to make it simple, um, but it's not a simple choice. Uh, growers have to invest their money. They want to have some confidence that what they're going to put in the ground, they're going to reap some yields in the years to come. And so, again, we're all working together as the, with the industry to try to get the right information in the hands so growers can make informed decisions. This is Ernie Neff. Next, I'll be speaking with Dr. Tripti Vashisht. I'm Ernie Neff with Tripti Vashisht. Assistant Professor at UF IFAS's Citrus Research and Education Center. Welcome, Tripti. Thank you, Ernie. You are, or we as an industry, are seeing improvement in tree health. Yes. I think uh, if you drive across the state, you can see some of the trees. Tree looks better than what it was. I started here in 2014, and I, and my um, understanding of industry or is starts from 2014 when HLB was everywhere and you can see that tree health seems to be improving growth is improving the trees used to be very thin around the state and now you can see some of the trees are bouncing back uh, some groves look very good um, and we had recently a field day in uh, Peace River with Peace River packing and that was remarkable. The tree health looks pretty good, and that's just not one place. There are multiple spots throughout the state. We are also seeing improvement in fruit production. Obviously, the crop forecast is up this year. Yes, and that is very promising. It's a good news, right? We are seeing improvement in fruit production. We are seeing a so forecast looks good and then also some of the trials that we are doing with uh, our fertilizer trials we are now seeing significant improvement with good fertilization program uh, constant and balanced uh, fertilizer is helping the tree we get we have uh, seen significant improvement which is good so that helps us in making uh, uh, suggesting certain programs to the growers so that's good fruit quality and fruit size are improving as well. Yes, we are seeing improvement in fruit size and quality. We are, um, um, we recently did some work with Dr. Yu Wong, who is a flavor chemist at CREC, 
and we were able to see that um, some of the flavor profiles have improved for the fruit, especially with good fertilization program. We are seeing improvement in size, which is again a good thing because uh, uh, in past few years since HLB has been everywhere, you, we have seen a decrease in the fruit size. and. Uh, Getting back to the normal fruit size or good fruit size is uh, a plus in ad in addition to good yield. Fruit size is benefiting. You know, while we've said that, though, I've heard from several growers this year, this year saying fruit size is a little small. Have you been hearing that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it depends. Uh, if it is in reference to Hamlin, Hamlin generally tend to be smaller. Um, I have, uh, most of our work has been on Valencia. We are seeing improvement in Valencia. Now, another thing to keep in mind is if we are getting a lot of crop on the tree, the fruit size may be small. Problem was when you have few fruit and they were small. Now you have many fruit and if they are small, that's how the tree adjusts its crop load. And that makes sense because those same people who have said they got small fruit size have said, but the fruit quality is better. So. Yes. Uh, Tripti, what are growers doing to achieve these improvements? So uh, from horticultural management, um, what we are seeing is it's the constant supply of nutrients. We have talked about it in depth in past few years, and actually it seems to be working. It's the constant supply and a balanced supply. Um, not so much in our, in my opinion, it's not so much a particular nutrient, it's every nutrient. You have to have all the nutrient and you have to have it on ground uh, or in the tree all year round. So you have to just focus on intensive management and that seems to be working. Uh, we are seeing that soil applied nutrients are better absorbed by the tree compared to foliar. So uh, that is something to consider and that's what is working. And uh, we recently did a Citrus Nutrition Day back in December of 2018 and we had um, made some interview videos of uh, two of our uh, growers who are seeing improvement. And uh, both of them uh, indicated towards a good fertilization program, constant application, whether it's through fertigation or multiple application of regular fertilizer. And they also indicated that improving the organic matter in the soil is helping. So our Florida soil is sandy soil, it's so low in organic matter, so if we can improve the organic matter, uh, whichever way you choose, whichever works best for a particular grower. So some people use cover crops and then make a mulch and put it, some are using compost. Um, there are other people who are using different methods. So it's whatever fits your need, but um, organic matter and constant supply of nutrition is what is seems to be working. Those old days pre-HLB, you weren't here, but growers would put down three or four fertilizations, ground applied a year. Those days are gone. Yes, those days are gone. I think uh, um, intensive management is what is needed with these sick trees, and they respond better. Uh, they are responding better. It's like you have to just spoon feed them like a baby. So, But they are doing okay, I guess. That's very good. Did we cover it? Yes, I think so. Excellent. Thank you, Tripti. Thank you.
Now we'll go to Abby Taylor, who is talking to Citrus Extension agent Chris Oswalt. Thanks, Ernie. I'm talking to Chris Oswalt, who is a regional Citrus Extension agent for the University of Florida, and he's going to talk to us today about a Winter Weather Watch program. So to start off, why don't you tell our audience what the Winter Weather Watch program is and how it started? Okay. Well, the Winter Weather Watch is a program that's been around at least for citrus growers in Florida through the Extension Service since probably the mid-1960s. And the reason why the advent of the program was really out of a need to provide the latest ag weather information to citrus growers in Florida. You have to remember back in the 60s, we didn't have the Internet. Um, We had rotary dial phones. And in order to disseminate the information and forecast, it was quite difficult to get that to a lot of people at one time. Uh, The forecast back in the 60s and even probably into the 70s typically came across on what's called a teletype machine. So those forecasts, the ag weather forecast for Florida would come on a teletype machine. That information was then recorded on a phone recording device, similar to what you used to do when you'd call the movie theater to find out what the movies were playing and what time they started. Um, The information would then be available for growers who subscribe to this service. They could call and they could get the forecast because typically the weather's the weather information that was available on TV was more for in-town kinds of applications rather than ag weather. And the National Weather Service did have an ag forecasting office in Lakeland and out of the Ruskin office in Tampa over the years. So this was a way to get the information out to a lot of people in a timely fashion rather than individual growers trying to call the National Weather Service in either Lakeland or Tampa and ask them specific questions for their location. So it was a way to provide that information to growers in a timely fashion. So what kind of information do you provide, and why is it important for citrus growers? Okay, the information we provide is nothing more um, than the National Weather Service information. What we do is we take that information, and daily we gather the information on minimum temperature forecasts and other weather parameters, We have a retired meteorologist that helps us during freeze events that kind of guide us in interpreting that information. And what we do is we provide this information to growers daily. We also provide them with information on how to interpret the forecast in as much as what type of freeze it's going to be. Typically, there are four types of freezes in Florida. The two major ones that we are most concerned about are what what we call the advective freeze or when the wind blows during a freeze all night long. And then the other type is a radiation freeze where the wind dies down and you get differences between high and low ground. And therefore, that's a different type of freeze. And so what we do is we provide information to growers in a kind of like a winter weather watch manual that provides them the instructions on how to interpret these kinds of forecasts so that they can make those local decisions for their particular operations. Okay, so once you've gathered all this information, how do you then get the information to the growers? Okay, the information, if, if a grower wants this type of information, wants us to help them get that information, we do provide a subscription service for which growers will subscribe, and then they'll have a phone number that they can call 24 hours a day, and that forecast information will be available to them on a reported forecast, which I do daily during, well, basically four months from November 15th to March 15th every year. I provide this daily weather information along with weekly outlooks and those types of things that provide growers some insight in what's going to happen 
near term and also what may be happening out anywhere from a week to two weeks out. They can contact me at this point. I believe I'm the only one that actually offers this service. Awesome. Well, where can people find out more about the Winter Weather Watch and who would be the best person to reach out to you? At this, well, at this time, we're kind of getting late in the year, so I hope I haven't jinxed things by talking about uh, cold protection this late in the year. But um, at this point, that's probably the main thing that we're working on. We do um, we provide information on citrus acclimation, which is the ability of citrus to withstand freezing temperatures. And we'll provide that information through March. Um, we'll do that weekly, and that's also available on FAWN, the Florida Automated Weather Network, I believe. And that information under determining your critical value for your crop, if you look under citrus, that information is provided weekly to growers to kind of give them an idea of the susceptibility of citrus leaves to freezing temperatures. All right. Well, thank you, Chris, for being on this month's podcast. We really appreciate it. All right. No problem at all. Have fun. This has been Abby Taylor. Back to you, Ernie. Hello, I'm Ernie Neff with Gene Albrigo, Professor Emeritus with UF IFAS's Citrus Research and Education Center. Gene, thanks for joining us. Pleased to do it. When and how does citrus flowering begin? Citrus flowering starts with buds on the previous year's shoots. After the buds on these shoots mature, which takes about two months, it requires cool temperature or water stress to induce flower buds. This is a gene upregulation process that produces a signal in the leaves that is translocated to the buds primarily on the same shoot. Most of the spring flowering, which is responsible for the annual crop, is induced by cool temperatures. That is temperatures less than 68 degrees Fahrenheit. It takes at least 700 hours of these temperatures from October through late December or January to induce enough flowering for an economic crop. Flower intensity for a better crop usually requires 800 to 850 hours of induction. More induction hours are also needed if the current crop is heavier. After five hundred to six hundred hours of induction. If a warm period of seven to ten days with midday highs of 85 degrees Fahrenheit or more occurs, it will likely initiate bud growth of the terminal most buds uh, from one to three buds. Then after another 120 or 300 inductive hours and another warm period, a second cohort of flowers initiates growth. Under Florida conditions, two flower cohorts are typical and sometimes three can occur. The two cohorts are usually about two to three weeks apart and appear as a long or prolonged flowering period. But a month's separation between the cohorts has occurred. It takes 700 hours if there is a light current crop and maybe 850 hours of induction if there is a heavy crop before the first warm period initiates bud growth of sufficient buds so that only a single set of flowers uh, occurs at, at bloom time. Flower development is very dependent on temperature, right? Uh, yes. Temperature mostly 
determines flower bud induction, as already discussed. Then after initiation of bud growth, the rate of flower development also is temperature dependent. In Florida, it takes 55 to 85 days from initiation of bud growth until full bloom, or about 8 to 12 weeks. In recent years, the period has been 8 to 11 weeks. This is primarily due to variation in temperatures during the first four weeks of flower bud development. Cold temperatures delay flower development at this early stage, and cold temperatures near full bloom also delay flower development. Quite some time ago, Gene, you and others devised a system to track flower development. Can you describe the system? In the early 1990s, we, that is Dr. Juan Valiente, then a graduate student, Dr. Howard Beck, then a faculty member in ag engineering, and myself, developed an expert system that tracked the accumulation of flower bud and inductive temperatures warm periods that triggered initiation of bud growth and rate of flower bud development to full bloom. The model uses fawn weather data to provide real-time progress of flower bud development. At critical times, it provides growers with options to enhance or reduce flowering intensity, and usually in January, it provides a predicted bloom date that will occur in late February to late March or April, depending on the year. This allows growers to plan for production practices that should be applied at or near flowering time. The Citrus Flowering Monitor Expert System is now online, and growers can access it at any time from October through May for all the fawn sites in the Florida citrus growing area. The model is supported by advisories posted periodically on the Citrus Research and Education Center website during the citrus flower induction and development period. I believe you're expanding the system to help growers determine some silage spray timing. Yes, currently We are expanding the use of this system to advise growers on the best time to apply their first late winter, early spring silage spray based on the initiation of bud growth. Spraying for adult silage before feather flush is available minimizes the development of a new silage population for the coming growing season. Further, predicting the initiation of 10% open flowers and 90% petal fall assist beekeepers in moving bees into and out of citrus and assist growers on when not to spray for silage during the flowering or active bee period. HLB has had an impact on flowering, correct? Uh, That is right. Uh, With the introduction of HLB into our citrus industry, poor root systems and fall water stress has led to poor or more off-season winter flowering and associated flushing that detracts from overall flowering in the spring and silic control by providing new flush to maintain egg laying and new nymphs to sustain the silic population during the winter. However, 
HLB has not changed the tree's response to weather or in developing flower bud induction and bud development to flowering. HLB has, of course, reduced the number of buds available to be induced into flower buds each year. How is flowering coming this year in Florida? Well, flowering for Florida's next citrus crop has been coming along fairly well from an environmental point of view. Generally, the amount of off-season winter bloom was low in most of the groves we monitor. The first wave of spring flowers is now at large pinhead to small popcorn stages, coming from 680 to 870 cool temperature induction hours. This wave is projected to be in full bloom about the first week of March, and a second wave is possible coming from an additional 120 to 130 hours of induction with full bloom of this wave predicted about mid-March. A second wave may develop due to the heavier than usual crop for HLB-affected trees and the requirement for more induction with a heavy current crop. Two concerns for this year's flowering are, first, will flowering intensity be adequate considering the higher current crop and weaker tree condition as a result of HLB. And two, if we have a prolonged bloom, will we be faced with rains during bloom and possible post-bloom fruit drop or PFD? Today, February 13th, we are experiencing sustained rainfall and some flowers are in the popcorn stage which exposes petal tissue. Hopefully, this will not be a problem since we have not had a PFD problem the previous two years. So far, we do have the potential for another good bloom, and hopefully we will have another improved crop next year. Gene, thanks. You're welcome. This has been Ernie F. Be sure to tune in next month for all new updates on citrus research. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.